0: It's been a long time since I've preached and I've been as nervous as I am right now. And I I can't explain it. I wasn't, I I, I don't know why, Um, but there's just a nervousness because if I recognize just that at times there has been abuse on this topic or misunderstanding of this topic and my desire tonight is to be faithful to Scripture, to understand that generosity and giving and finances is something to be talked about and over this week and next week, We'll continue to unpack it, but I want you to say, I'm saying that to kind of point out that I'm coming to it with a sense of humility and weightiness, even on this topic, and I I desire to be as faithful as possible as we talk about kingdom generosity. To get started, I want to kind of give an illustration as we think about generosity in a number of different ways. Warren Buffett was the founder, CEO, and kind of chief investor for Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, one of the largest investment hedge funds in the world. And years ago, he, get this, I I can't wrap my mind around this, but he donated $37 billion to charity. Like, I can barely process million, but once you put a B in front, like, I, I, I can't even fathom billion, much less $37 billion. When asked about his donation of $37 billion to charity... Uh, He says this. My gift, referring to that 37 billion, my gift has not changed my lifestyle one bit. I still go to the movies I want to go to and eat at the restaurants I want to dine at. But what about the person who gives a gift that requires that they can't go to the movies or that they can't eat out anymore? They are the true givers, the true heroes of generosity. Understand his point. He's pointing out that The amount that I gave doesn't necessarily make me generous. Generosity is found in this idea of self-sacrifice. To illustrate this picture in the book called God So Loved That He Gave, Justin, a pastor, shares a story about a homeless woman who lived under a bridge in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is about five hours east from where I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. He talks about a time where he met her and was out doing ministry and served her, and he provided for some basic needs of hers, but then he didn't hear from her for a period of time until one day he got a call from her after she had been in a, a tragic accident, and he helped get her to the hospital and help get what she needed, and then she started attending the church. She started coming to the church, and the church continued to serve her and would give her food vouchers and, that, and other vouchers that helped meet her basic needs. But then he said a problem was created. He said, Tammy, this was the woman, he said, Tammy kept giving the vouchers away to other people. The pastor told her, Tammy, you need to keep this for yourself. Otherwise, you'll run out of food. But living under the bridge meant she was living with a lot of other needy people also. And it was unthinkable for her to receive a gift and then not share it with others. So in response, with an incredulous stare, she asked the pastor, why can't I give some of it away too? The pastor said, I found myself taken aback by her question. Why shouldn't Tammy be allowed to give some of what she has received to others? Wasn't that exactly what I was doing for her? I was taking some that I had been given to me and I was giving to her. He said he paused for a moment, then he gave a very pragmatic answer to her. He says, well, we're giving this to you Not to everyone else, and so we want your needs to be met. But he says, after that, I still recognize there's a deeper problem. Is that to only to receive and to never give back, you're missing the idea of generosity and the whole point of serving to begin with. He says, over time, he had begun to think of Tammy simply as a project or a way that he could help. But he never processed that Tammy was also receiving a gift and was turning around and wanting to be generous with that gift. In the same way that the good news of Jesus Christ is something that we are receiving, but we're not just recipients of that generosity, but instead we're recipients of that generosity of grace, but we also get to participate in the movement of his own generosity in the kingdom of God. And that's the idea that I believe our text in 2 Corinthians 8 gets at, and that is summarized in those illustrations. So if you've got a handout, here's the main point. It's kind of a lengthy statement, but here's the summarize the whole point of today's text. Generosity is not the condition of our circumstances, but a gift given to us by the grace of God. A gift we are encouraged to excel in. It's a long statement, so let me read it again. Generosity is not the condition of our circumstances. Think of Warren Buffett. He said, just because I had this extra $37 billion to give away... That doesn't necessarily make me generous. Now, I'm going to still put him in the category of generous, but nonetheless, the point is it's not about my circumstances, but generosity is a gift that has been given to us by the grace of God, and it's a gift that Paul's going to tell the church in Corinth, I encourage you to excel in, to grow in, and to model well. Our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, if you're there, simply say amen. It's going to be on the screen as well. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Let's pause for a second. First, I want you to point out that you're going to see clearly he's talking about giving. But he calls it and starts by calling it the grace of God. He's already putting giving in this category of a grace. Something that God has given to us and birthed in us. Second, I want us to point out, it says the churches in Macedonia what are those churches? That's Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica, Acts 16 and 17. You can see where at the beginning of Acts 16, into 15, going into 16, uh, Paul is planning to go one direction, and God calls him to the churches in Macedonia. He goes in Acts 16. He plants a church in Philippi, Berea, the beginning of Acts 17, and then on to Thessalonica. But this is what he's referring to. He's referring to those churches. He says, I want you to know, brothers, talking to the church in Corinth, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Mas- Macedonia, those three churches. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Notice our target statement generosity is not a condition of the circumstances. He's already emphasizing that with the church of Macedonia. These people were not rich. But instead, they were greatly persecuted and much affliction and by worldly standards would be considered somewhat impoverished. But yet, they are known for their generosity. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. Of their own accord, meaning nobody was twisting their arms. They were willingly doing this. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should compete, complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Generosity is not a condition of our circumstances, but a gift given to us by the grace of God, a gift we are to encourage to excel in. Three truths that will help define generosity even more so as we walk through this text. Truth number one, generosity is the visible sign of an invisible grace. Generosity is the visible sign of an invisible grace. Let me It's a play on words, but let's think about that for a second. I had a professor tell me once, um, in reference to John chapter 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he, will, he or she will not see the kingdom of God. Meaning that eternal life comes from being born again in Christ. That we go, as Ephesians 2 describes, that we go from death to life. There's this process of being born again. So in reference to that, I had a professor say to me, he says, my born again detector is broken. Meaning, I can't look at you and know in the deep soul and your spirit whether you're actually born again or not. Like, we don't have the ability to do that. Only the spirit of God has the ability to see and know that. But what we do as believers is we, there are evidences, there are fruits of the spirit. There are things that are model, the fact that we have received the grace of Jesus. And Paul argues in 2 Corinthians 8, that generosity is one of those things. That although grace is invisible, we can't see the eternal grace that you have received. I can't can't see into your soul and see that. But what we can see, according to Paul, is that generosity for the church of Macedonia was evidence that they had received the grace of Jesus. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He goes and then describes generosity as a response to that grace. That in their affliction, with joy, in poverty, they excelled in generosity, Generosity was evidence that they had experienced the grace of Jesus. Generosity for them was a visible sign of the invisible grace that they had received in Jesus. Generosity as being defined here is not this idea, according to Macedonia, they were not generous because they were rich. This goes back to even the illustrations between Warren Buffett and the homeless woman. That generosity is not defined by how much you give, but often recognizing why we give. They were giving out of maybe self-sacrifice and ultimately because of the grace that Jesus has given us. We are not generous because we are rich in this world. We are generous because we are rich in Christ. Generosity is an act of self-sacrifice is what he's describing for the church in Macedonia. They were sacrificing. They gave out of an abundance of what they had and what they didn't have, meaning that took sacrifice They didn't just give of leftovers, but they gave of first fruits. They didn't just give of something that cost them nothing. And I think this is kind of Warren Buffett's point. I've given away $37 billion, but my life has changed none. I still got billions, and I can still do whatever I want. But generosity is when someone gives, and then they are not able. It changes. There's a sacrifice being made. He who gives, one commentator says, he who gives what he could readily throw away Gives without generosity. For the essence of generosity is in self sacrifice. When he talks about the church in Macedonia, he's challenging current to excel in this generosity as well. But I want us to see he's rooting it. He's beginning to build his argument, not in this idea of I'm going to twist your arm in legality to give, but he begins to shape it in this idea of grace. When you think about generosity, it is in the context here and in the context of the sermon, we are talking about generosity of finances. The fact that God's given us, and so we want to be generous towards others with what God's given us. But I want us to see that generosity is birthed out of grace that God has given us. Generosity is the visible sign of an invisible grace. Look with me at verse five. This is a particularly telling and helpful verse on this point. And this talking about generous giving and generosity, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. What does that mean? That they give first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's what it's not saying. They didn't go knock on God's door and say, hey, we give you money. Then they'll go knock on Paul's door and say, we give you money. To some degree, how are you then giving to God and then giving to Paul And what I think he's getting at is motivation in giving more than practicality, because clearly they've given, he's referencing their generosity towards Paul and to the needs of others, but he's talking about the purpose and the motivation behind why they gave. He's saying, first, they gave unto the Lord, meaning they gave as an act of worship. We end every service by taking up offering, and a lot of it's still given online, but we We pray over it and I say, this is an act of worship for us. Us taking up an offering is not just a business transaction we got to do at the end of service. It's not just an administrative reason. But first and foremost, when we give of tithes and offerings and we give of finances, we're giving first and foremost as an act of worship. This is what Paul's saying for the church here. their reason to why they gave was first and foremost to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, meaning it was God's will then that they then gave to us, gave specifically to Paul, gave specifically to his mission. Two weeks ago when we said that kingdom pursuit to pursue the kingdom of God means that we provide for the kingdom of God, we gave reference to the fact that there were people who traveled with Jesus and helped fund his needs. And we said, hey, if Jesus needs someone to help fund the mis- his mission, then we too need help funding the mission of God. Well, this is what Paul's getting at. Paul had a mission. And Paul traveled, and he went and preached the gospel. But he understood that I couldn't have done that without the generosity of churches who were giving first as an act of thanksgiving unto God, but then giving because they believed in the mission of God. They believed in what Paul was doing, and so they were displaying the grace that had been given to them, and they wanted to see that grace go to others so that other people would receive the gospel, so that other people would hear the gospel preached, so that others then would turn and worship God, so they gave generously to Paul in his mission. Romans, one of the greatest theological writings, period, but even in Scripture, has a lot of purposes, but one of the primary purposes for Romans was to raise funds to go preach the gospel to Spain. He writes this great theological treatise that helps deal with some things in the church. He had not yet been to the church in Rome, but he's writing in advance because he's about to travel to the church in Rome. He writes all these great theological things, and then at the end he says, oh, I'm coming to you soon, and I'm writing and asking that you would help support me so that I can go preach the gospel in Spain to a place that has never heard the gospel. One of the greatest theological writings was Paul saying, hey, here's this mission, here's this great thing, but I can't do it without the generosity of the churches. And Paul saying the church in Macedonia, even in great poverty, gave generously as an act of worship and as a way to continue to believe and fund the mission that God had them on. And so for generosity for us, let it be that. Second, as we think about generosity, and this is, this is the part that I think I want to help make clear for us, and let me just say it and then we'll unpack it. Truth number two, generosity is the privilege of a joyful giver. Generosity is the privilege of a joyful giver. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. 8. I say this, remember he just got done saying in verse six and seven, hey, I encourage you to excel and the generosity, and the grace of generosity. So excel, be very generous. But he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. I think there's moments, if you go and read First and Second Corinthians, there are moments where Paul says, this is a command I give you. He uses his authority, not only as maybe their pastor and as a teacher, but even the authority that God's given them as an apostle to speak uh, prophetically on behalf of God. There's moments where he uses that authority and says, this is a command. But I think he, even then, 2,000 years ago, I think felt the sensitivity that even I feel talking about finances towards others and says, hey, I don't want to use my position to domineer and twist you to do something. I want you to understand that it's weird, especially because Paul's saying, hey, would you excel in generosity because it benefits me? He recognizes that even what he's talking about is to his benefit, and so he's very careful to not use his position to domineer. But he points out something, and he says, this is not a command, but it is to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. He says in verse two, for in a severe test and affliction, their abundance of joy, they gave wealth of generosity. When we talk about finances in next week, we are going to ask the question, does God command us to tithe? Does the Bible command us to tithe? We're going to get into the pragmatic, theological, are we called to tithe 10%, tithe being defined as 10%, that's literally what the word means, tithe, tenth, you can even hear it. Tithe, tent? are we called to do that? And we are going to unpack that. But here, we're going to look at, hey, I've been told we're called to give 10%. There are passages in Scripture that say give 10%. But here, Paul's saying, I command you not necessarily to give. So which is it? Am I commanded to give? Am I not commanded to give? And as we will unpack that answer more next week, but I think I want us to get this week and next week, is that ultimately, our giving is not something we do under duty or requirements but we do it under privilege. And I think the heart of generosity that Paul wants to get at, that I want us to get at, that I want us to see, that Paul's arguing, generosity is not because I'm commanding you to do it, I have the authority to do so, so go do it. That if I'm having to begrudging you to give of your money and resources, then there's a bigger problem. Because the issue that Jesus will get at Also, when he says statements like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is that I want to see you so moved by the grace of Jesus that it would overflow in generosity. Because when it overflows out of willingness and joyful privilege, it's evidence that money is not your God, but Jesus is. But if we're giving of our money because we have to, well, I've got to give 10% or God's going to be mad at me or I've got to do this or God's going to be mad at me, what we're saying is I'm doing it to try to earn God's love, but I really still want this. This is more important to me. And Paul's saying, hey, no, what, what we need to see first when we think about giving is not this is what you have to do, so go do it. But instead, we look at the grace of Jesus. We look at what he's done and he then compels us to go, yeah, take it. It's not mine anyways. Because Jesus is my God. He's more important than these pennies. Take my pennies. If it benefits worship to him and it benefits his kingdom and it benefits others, take it. See, because when we give generously as a privilege and not as a duty, it shows what our heart is really worshiping. And Paul's going, I don't want you to give because you have to. I want you to give because you want to. Because I want your heart to be so captivated by Jesus that you live loosely with everything else in this world. One of the values we say at New Hope is radical hospitality, which we define as we generously share of our lives and resources with others. The word generous was very intentional there because we, even though the context of this text and the context of the sermon is talking about generosity through finances, when we think about generosity in general, it's saying that all of mine that God has given me I give for the sake of his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. Hospitality, I give him my home. I give him my car. I give him my time. I give him my finances. I generously share everything that God's given me with others because these are just temporal things, things that I cannot hang on to, but God has given me for his glory. This is the idea of Psalm 67 where the psalmist cries out, God, might you shine your face on me and bless me so that I may be a blessing to the nations so that the nations may praise you. God, would you give me so that I could give away so that others will worship you. This is the idea of generosity. God, might you give me, might you make me financially fruitful so that I can give for the sake of your glory so that other people will worship you. Whether it's 37 billion or whether it's vouchers for food, God, you have given me as a gift. How might I show my generosity towards others? Which leads us to how Paul bases his argument. Truth number three. Generosity is the example of a saving God. Generosity is the example given by a God who saves us. Look at verse eight, and then we look at verse nine. Verse eight says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So be generous, here's what he, his argument. Be generous, not because I command you to, but be generous because of verse nine, because Jesus was generous. For you know The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. See where Paul bases his argument? Hey, be generous, church, not because I'm telling you to, but because Jesus was. I said this at the two o'clock service and nobody got this. So hopefully this, you'll get this. When I say Jesus Juke, you know what I mean by that? You've ever been Jesus Juke before? Here's an example of a Jesus Juke. I'm so tired, I don't want to do this. Someone says, well, I'm glad Jesus wasn't tired the day he went to the cross to die for your sins. And you're just like, well, how am I supposed to respond to that? See, y'all didn't laugh at that either. Like, that's a Jesus Juke. Like, it's just one of those, like, that's not an argument. You're just, like, throwing Jesus' name out there to make me feel bad. That's a Jesus Juke. In some degree, I want you to see this is kind of what Paul's doing, I think. Hey, do this not because I tell you to, because Jesus did it. Well, now I have no argument. I don't, and we don't. In a serious sense, we don't have an argument. I want you to see what Paul's saying. Paul's saying generosity is at the heart of what Jesus did. J.D. Greer, a pastor from North Carolina, says it this way, without generosity, there is no gospel. What does he mean by that? Think about the gospel, that Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. Generosity, or giving, is I give you something, I no longer have it right? I give you $10, you have it, I don't have it. Jesus gave life generously, but what did it cost him? His own life. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that you and I have no hope, no life, but Jesus loved us so very much that he came, he died, he was resurrected to life, that in faith you receive his grace for all eternity. You receive life. J.D. Greer's right, pastor's right when he says without generosity, there is no gospel because that is generosity. If Jesus did not generously give of everything so that you could have everything, you would never, the gospel truth would not exist. Meaning the gospel truth of Jesus laying down his life so that you could have life wouldn't, could not be possible without generosity. And so Paul's basing in this entire argument on the fact that Jesus was generous That it's the heart of his grace is that he was generous so that other people could have a life, that redemption could happen, and that people could praise him. Therefore, church, as we are captivated by that truth, there is only one response and one response only, generosity. Not because we have to, but because we are so captivated by his generosity that we too are generous towards others. Because these things of this world, we cannot keep. Missionary, the minds, the names blanking me. So forgive me. Uh, Elizabeth, Elliot, Jim Elliot, pastor, missionary who died in Ecuador, I believe, serving remote villages. Wrote in his journal just days before he died, at the hands of sharing the gospel, knowing that it was a great risk to go and share the gospel. Makes this statement: He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. When you and I are, understand that we've been so captivated and it's been given everything because of the grace of Jesus, it's, it's an easy, yeah, I'll give the things that I cannot keep. I'll give the things that are nothing compared to the treasures of God in order to worship him and honor him. This is what generosity is. And as we continue to process this, here's the challenge I want us to get. Two takeaway challenges. One, I want us to reflect on the generous grace of Jesus more than anything else. Are you captivated by his goodness and mercy that he loved you so very much that he gave more than you and I could ever comprehend? He gave his life so that we could have life. That through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that when we put our faith and trust in him, scripture says that we are born again and receive eternal life. Are we captivated by that? Does that change everything in our life? And have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? And Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, let that overwhelm you with gratitude this afternoon. But then second, as we think about specific generosity through giving, I want to make sure that your takeaway from today is not, well, I got to give, so let me give. That's what the pastor or Bible says. no. I need you to hear me say, I pray that we are so captivated by Jesus that it's just a joy that outflows us, that we give of our money, we give our time, we give anything that God's given us, our talents to serve and to care and just give away. Because we just want to say thank you to God and want to serve others. That I want us to be a church that is generous with kingdom generosity, because we are so moved by the grace of Jesus, not because of religious legalism. We've missed the point, if that's what you're walking away with. But might we see that generosity, target statement for today, generosity is not the condition of our circumstances. So whether I got $1 or I got $37 billion, I've got something that God's given me to be generous towards others. Generosity is not a condition of our circumstances. We don't have to wait so we hit a certain point in our 401k or a certain point in our salary to be generous. But generosity is not a condition of our circumstances, but it's a gift that is received through the grace of Jesus. A gift that we are encouraged to excel in. So here's the balance as I'm being faithful to what the text says that I want to make sure we get. Is that I too, echoing the text, want to encourage New Hope Church to be generous in giving. Generous as a thanksgiving to God, and generous because we believe in the mission that God's given us. To support the ministries of this church, to support the preaching of the gospel, to support missions here and abroad, let us be generous towards the things that we feel God's called us to do, but let us excel in that. Like I'm echoing the text, yes, let's do this, but at the same time, let's not do it as a command or a duty to be fulfilled, but a privilege we get to participate in. Our motivation matters. And so let us excel in the grace of giving because we are so moved by the spirit of God to do so, not out of a religious legal duty. We understand this? And I hope we can find the balance of what I'm asking of you as I echo the text and say, God, let us give and be a generous church with all that you've given us. But recognize you're not doing it to earn God's love. You're doing it because you've already been given all of God's love. There's a difference in those two things. And so let us be generous because we've already received the greatest act of generosity, which is life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, as a church, we surrender all. And that includes our wallets, our bank accounts, our time, our treasures. That includes everything because everything you've given us is yours. And when we give up all the things in this world and surrender to you, we receive all the things in heaven, which is far greater anyways. I pray that you move our hearts to just be overcome by your grace and generosity towards us when you gave your life for us, Jesus. You gave the greatest gift of generosity, and that's life in you. So thank you for that. So we rest in that, and we receive that, and we worship you because of that. And I pray that you would move our hearts to be generous as an act of thanksgiving and service to your mission. And Father, it's in that light and it's in that posture, if you will, that I pray earthly blessings over this congregation. I pray Psalm 67. Jesus, would you pour out your blessings on us? And specifically, I do ask, that you would pour out financial blessings on this congregation to meet the needs of this community, but also to pour out abundant financial resources on this community so that generosity can flow to your, towards your kingdom and towards your mission. So I do selfishly, but with kingdom-minded, say, God, would you bless us so that we can serve this city, we can meet the needs of this community, that we can show them through that generosity, your love, because it was through your act of generosity that we received and understood and could participate in your grace. And so it's through our acts of generosity that others will see and hear the good news of Jesus also. So I do ask for kingdom's sake that you would bless us, not for our sake and our gain, but for your glory. Would you bless us so that we could turn around and be a blessing towards others? So thank you for giving us everything. And as we give our lives and surrender it all back over to you, might you use our treasures for your honor and glory. We'll pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeNY. Org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.NewHopeNY.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.